Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. This episode is the first of its kind. Um, I actually did get some feedback from a handful of listeners saying that it would be nice to have an episode of Just Me. So this is my first crack at that, uh, which is interesting as a podcaster. I I consider myself a podcaster now. I'm doing this thing. And um, so I just want to go through a couple of topics, kind of fast and furious. Uh, A lot of people ask me, you know, what is the deal uh, with conservatism? You've got navigating conservatism everywhere. What is what does that mean? What is conservatism? And I think it's a fair question. And honestly, I'm sorry that I haven't said anything really to um, approach the topic sooner, uh, because defining our terms and saying exactly what it is that we're talking about is critical in a lot of the misunderstandings that we have. Uh, so if you go over to my website, thejoemobleyshow.com, if you hit on that about tab, uh, there's a huge list of topics. I send this to people that are interested in interview or people that I'm interested in having on for interview. And it looks a lot more academic than it is. It looks, um, It can look a little tedious. It can look a little uh, difficult to grasp, and it's not. So I just I just wanted to hit on a couple of those topics just fast and furious. Uh, so logic and reasoning, it's up there at the top, and it says in parentheses, fallacies and philosophy. So the basic idea here is that it's not enough uh, that something makes sense. You hear that all the time. Someone will say something like, well, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the thing is, A con person, you know, their bread and butter in conning people is by saying stuff and doing stuff that makes sense. It makes sense on the surface. You know, it's kind of a verbal sleight of hand. Uh, But what we're really looking for is, is this logically sound? Does the boat float or is it riddled with holes? And what we find in a lot of kind of these great ideas, uh, when I was in the military, we called them the good idea fairy. A lot of these things, they seem to make sense. Ah, that sounds like a good idea. But in reality... It's not sound. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny. There's no real philosophical truth behind it. And often you find uh, that it's either riddled with fallacies or it's fallen prey to one of the more complex fallacies. And I really hope to get into a lot of these issues uh, with my guest on the show and to dive into these issues deeper with you all. Moving on down, we've got cancel culture and political correctness. Uh, Personally, this is my... Uh, least favorite thing that I see happening in society. Um, I I think this, you know, I call it PC3, politically correct cancel culture. I think this is the issue uh, 
that push me over the edge to start the podcast. I really, truly think that it is. Um, this is a fundamental freedom of speech, First Amendment a violation where we can't say what we want to say for fear of offending someone, and that ties into the microaggressions, you know, the assertion that people can know what the intent or even the implicit intent of someone else's statement is, uh, that we can know that and that we can deem it nefarious is absurd. Um, that's, you know, if we're doing something and it's implicit, we don't even know we're doing it. And we each as individuals, we have these things that we do. How does it make sense for us to cast someone else in the negative light if they're having one of those things happen and we're saying it's because they're racist or it's because they're sexist or it's because they're fill in the blank phobic. Uh, it's, it's kind of absurd. It's something that sounds good going back to uh, logic and reasoning. It's like, oh, that, that sounds like it makes sense, but it actually doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Another thing that ties into kind of this cancel culture is compulsory language. Um, where we can't say this long list of things, but we're actually required to say this other list of things. Uh, and I, I've run into this, guys. I've run into this at work. I've run into this um, in in friend groups. I've run into this in churches that I don't attend because if, if they're saying this, then they're just full of it. Um, but where you're meant to kind of recite some things, kind of worship at the cultural altar where you must say and agree the United States is systemically racist and all white people are are racist and and are contributing and need to need to uh, vow to do the work look guys uh, that stuff's not true I've been called a lot of things uh, but like Larry Elder I latch onto this statement I've been called the coconut the Oreo token um, whitest black guy whatever you know, actually kind of hateful thing, which is actually racist to say. I've been called all of those things, but I haven't been called wrong on the basis of discrediting my argument. Uh, so, no, the United States is not racist. Society is not racist. Was slavery racist? Of course. Were Jim Crow laws racist? Of course. Um, is this the greatest country in the world, and especially the greatest country in the world for black and brown people or any other type of ethnic minority? Yes, if it wasn't, then all of those groups wouldn't move here. They would move somewhere else. And if all of those people move here, and this country's the most racist, but they're still moving here, how, how do the other countries around the world kind of fare in this? Especially given that slavery started uh, in Eastern civilization, and especially considering that even American slavery was the product of European nations and the triangle slave trade and the United States actually ended that slave practice. Uh, but I don't want to get too far into it. And, you know, I don't have someone to kind of bounce ideas off of. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings over the airwaves. And you guys are just clicking on the something else right now. Uh, so we'll, we'll gloss past freedom of speech. That's on the website. We already talked about that with the cancel culture piece. Uh, but that lands us at role of government. This one is huge for conservatism. What is the actual role of government? It seems that people that are more left-leaning, um, and I, I use the term liberal <laughs> conservatively, 
I, you know, I don't want to say all Democrats, but people that that are just liberal. I'm not talking a far leftist. I'm not talking about someone who's extremely progressive, um, or I would say radical, but just a liberal, you know, a kind of centrist left person. Uh, they believe that the government can be the cure for a lot of our problems. Um, if there are poverty issues, if there are sickness issues, if there are education issues, they lean on the government and they look to the government leadership, which is kind of an oxymoron when you think about it. We all make fun of government leaders and politicians on both sides of the aisle since the beginning of the United States. But when we have these hugely important problems, we look to them to solve it. If someone can explain to me why that makes sense, please call me text, tweet, whatever. I'd love to have you on so you can explain that to me. Um, But conservatives believe that the role of government should be extremely limited. That has nothing to do with the physical and even intangible size of the government. That doesn't have anything to do with the size of the military, um, the, the size of different government department budgets. It doesn't have anything to do with the number of legislators or the number of executive agencies. That has to do with the role of the government, the scope of its power. Uh, pure example of this is we don't believe that the president of the United States, whether it's Trump or Obama or Bush or George Washington, we don't believe in endless executive orders. We don't believe in endless um, administrative agencies where we have situations like now there's the FBI, there's, there's an agency for virtually anything. And what they do is they enact policy that have basically the rule of law. We see this with the with the Bureau of Tobacco and Alcohol, or the ATF. Uh, we see that with ATF where they'll pass a policy and they'll say, this is not allowed. Well, who voted the ATF in the office or who actually gave the ATF the authority to ban or essentially outlaw a type of firearm or a type of silence or anything like that? We all see this with the IRS. Congress is supposed to pass laws and, uh, you know, create laws and and policy that affect us financially. And those are supposed to be signed by the President of the United States. The IRS isn't supposed to kind of unilaterally make those changes. Um, So we just, we think that the scope of the government's authority the role of the government should be limited. Um, If we're talking about Congress, conservatives lean on Article 1, Section 8, the United States Constitution, and it gives 17 specific powers called the enumerated powers to the congressional body, to the legislature, period. Everything not included there is an unenumerated power, which falls to the states, which means unless Congress passes a law to change it, it's up to the states. Outside the scope of those specific 17 enumerated powers, Congress can't change that. An amendment to the Constitution can change that, which is what we saw with the 10th Amendment to the Constitution, which clearly states that all powers not granted to the Congress are reserved to the states or the people, which is a really important little tiny turn of phrase 
uh, that virtually all legislators try and forget. They never say it out loud. They don't want people to know. They want people to think things either reside with Congress or the state's government, but the Constitution clearly states granted to Congress or things that are not granted to Congress, these powers not granted to Congress are reserved for the states, but what's the last three words? Or the people. Um, so there actually doesn't need to be a law about everything. There are congressional laws, there's federal laws, there are your state laws, and all those other authorities are actually held in the people. It says it in the actual text of the Constitution, guys. Go and look it up. Uh, so role of government, conservatives, we believe, not necessarily Republicans, but people that are conservative, believe in limited government where the government performs the functions that it's supposed to perform that is clearly outlined in the Constitution, the federal United States Constitution, the constitutions of each state, and other uh, big bodies like the United States Code, um, and it goes all the way down to your state laws. But otherwise, that most things should be dealt with and handled by the people, and if not the people individually, then by their local governments at the smallest level. We don't believe that the federal government is a Mr. Fix-It, is a brilliant doctor or scientist, um, is, is a peacemaker, or... Any of those things. Uh, we don't believe that about the federal government, and neither do you, because if you did, then essentially you would want your health care and your education and your finances and your housing, you would want all of that stuff essentially run like the DMV, and I've never heard that from anyone. Uh, so microaggressions, we already hit on. We're just going to move straight past that. I think microaggressions are absurd. Um, if they're your thing, the hill for you to die on, then please get in contact with me. Go over to djomobleyshow.com, hit the contact tab, fill out the form, and you know schedule an introductory call. Either submit a question or uh, go ahead and schedule an interview. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, spoiler alert, microaggressions are absurd uh, and, and pretty much hilarious, actually. But please, call in. Let's have a talk about that. So moving down, socialism, guys. Socialism, it opens up so many different things. Um, whether we're talking about morality, if we're speaking comparatively with other uh, systems of government, with other uh, economic truths, socialism is an absolute disaster. Socialism is when the government owns the means of production and the people don't have the rights to uh, the fruits of their labors. So you're, you're working for the collective and, you know, your food isn't yours. Your food feeds your neighbor and your neighbor's food feeds your other neighbor and your other neighbor's food feeds you. That sounds like a good idea, but it actually doesn't make sense. If your food feeds you, you know what you need to do, how much of it you need to do to get the amount of food you need to feed yourself and your family. If your effort feeds your neighbor and your neighbor's effort feeds their neighbor and that neighbor's effort feeds you, if neighbor number three doesn't work, you don't eat. That doesn't make sense. That's called unjust, which is 
that's socialism in a nutshell, guys, uh, where the government owns the means of production, where the people don't have the right to the fruits of their labors. That's socialism. There is no such thing as qualified socialism. That's that's fill-in-the-blank socialism, Republican socialism, Democratic socialism. That that doesn't exist. It's the same problem that we see with justice. Justice is justice. There's no such thing as racial justice, social justice, uh, fill-in-the-blank justice. That That's a made-up term. It's not a thing. Um, there's justice and there's injustice. Justice is just. Fill-in-the-blank justice is unjust. Injustice is a word. Fill in the blank justice is injustice um, by its very definition, okay? We see this with the with all of the slavery talk, with all of the race talk in the United States. Guys, slavery was bad. Jim Crow was bad. There's no one arguing, aside from a white supremacist, and we all agree that white supremacists are bad, Besides them, there is no one arguing that slavery was a moral good or slavery was fair. There's no one arguing that redlining or Jim Crow laws were good or uh, morally defensible. No one is arguing that. That was an injustice. What we can't do is treat an injustice with an injustice. Uh, White people out there today... None of you own slaves. None of you promoted, pushed, or facilitated Jim Crow error policies. Stop apologizing for stuff you didn't do. Because here's the thing. You can't apologize for something you didn't do. Um, You know, people are being human trafficked out there, and it breaks my heart. It makes me really sad. I cannot apologize to a victim or survivor on behalf of the trafficker. The trafficker hasn't repented. The trafficker isn't sorry. My apology is nothing. My wife is white. Her apologizing for someone hundreds of years ago Owning slaves does nothing. She didn't own slaves. She is not a racist. She didn't commit the crime, so she can't be made to stand the punishment for the crime. That's injustice. That's why we're for, um, you know, a lot of times people bring up the death penalty and they'll say, you know, the death penalty is analogous to these things. You're you're treating an injustice with an injustice. No. The death penalty is punishing someone who's committed a terrible crime with the punishment of death. It's not analogous to reparations. It's not analogous to, to Title IX, um, to these affirmative action laws uh, to the fact that I can score lower on the SAT and beat out an Asian or a white American with the same grades and they can even have a higher SAT score and I get the slot um, at the Ivy League school or I get 
the job with less work experience, with less leadership experience, with less complex budgeting experience, with less you fill in the blank. The fact that I get the job because I'm black or that I get into the school because I'm black is injustice. So that's where we sit on the socialism. Actually, I guess I rolled up socialism and and some more uh, race relations in there. So let's let's pivot uh, to critical race theory. So <laughs> critical theory is a social binary. Uh, for people that don't know, critical theory is a social binary um, where you have basically two strata, two different groups. And um, what, what everyone's familiar with is the oppressor group and the oppressed. Um, so we'll say, you know, that a slave would have been in the oppressed group and Thomas Jefferson, a slave owner, would have been in the oppressor group. Except we're not talking about Thomas Jefferson and an actual slave. We're talking about, say, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and a modern-day black American, you know, a black person, not an African-American, because this individual is very unlikely to be from Africa, know any of the countries in Africa, speak any of the languages that people actually in Africa uh, speak. This person will have been born here in the United States and is black. Um, and in fact, black people have been here in the United States longer than any other group that was brought over here, longer than a lot of the, the Europeans that were brought over here, or that came over here, and then blacks that were brought over here. Um, you know, we don't say Polish-American or English-American or Dutch-American. We just say they're American or they're white. We might say what state they're from. Blacks were here longer than all of those other groups. We were brought over here in the very beginning, of course, um, putting Native Americans aside. Obviously, they were here first. But critical race theory puts that, that CEO, if the CEO is a straight white man, in the oppressor category. Uh, and then it puts, it kind of tallies up these things in a social binary type of way, um, where if you are any of these mainstream things, that's an oppressor point against you. And if you are any of these oppressed groups, then that's that's a point for you. So if you're gay or trans, bi, um, if you're anything other than white, if you're a woman, if you... You could basically put anything in there. If you grew up in poverty, if you um, didn't have one of your parents in the home, all of those things count as oppression points for you. And what do we do with these points when we're adding them up? We're deciding who has the moral authority, which is insane. We're saying whose voice needs to be elevated to the top and held as truth, um, as trustworthy, as, as worthy of being listened to in any particular moment, which is absurd because, you know, me, um, I've had a really good life, but you know, I'm, I'm from a, a less, um, wealthy, I'm from a poorer neighborhood in Long Island. Um, I'm black. Uh, my parents didn't go to college. So we'll say I have my, my three oppressor points. Of course, I'm a straight 
uh, successful married Christian man. So really, I, they'd put me in the oppressor category and they would say I'm basically a white person. Um, but let's put that aside for a second. If I kept my negative three points, uh, my three oppressor points, um, then I could be given some speech. And right now I've got the negative three points. That's the lowest score in the room. So I'm the moral authority and I'm saying whatever and everyone has to sit there and take it. The interesting thing is what I'm saying is, is held as true so long as I'm the moral authority in the room. But if someone else walks in the room and they're from a poor neighborhood and they're black uh, and their parents didn't go to college, but they're also gay, they've got negative four. So now I'm, I'm dethroned. Boop, I'm out of there. And they're the moral authority. They can say things uh, that directly refute what I just said. And the truth just changed like that in an instant. And then someone who's black and gay and from the wrong side of the tracks or whatever and whose parents didn't go to college and their woman comes in and they just, you know, bump the other guy and now they're the moral authority. That's insane. That's why critical race theory is garbage. Truth is truth no matter who's speaking it. Uh, someone's race or uh, these intangibles about people cannot have objective moral implications in the real world. All right, what we're talking about here is another thing that conservatives don't believe in, and that's the philosophy, the philosophy of relativism, which says basically all things are relative. And no, we're not talking like Einstein here. Um, we're talking like philosophically relative points of view, where the person's experience can be counted as true. Which is nuts. Uh, so a relativist would say this. Uh, you know, once upon a time, this is a true story. Once upon a time, uh, I had a, a racist encounter with a gas station. I don't know if he was a gas station clerk or tenant or if he owned the gas station. Uh, this is in the middle of nowhere. Funny story, my parents actually stopped at this very same gas station sometime before I did. Uh, and they also had kind of a similar experience uh, you know, it's, I, I forget if it's 501 or Route 29, um, but this is kind of out of the way road in Virginia. And some years after my parents stopped there and we had not talked about it, my wife and I stopped there and we had a little bit of a strange encounter. But anyway, the thing that came out of that was that this gas station attendant, clerk, owner, whatever, was racist flagrantly racist. It was clear as day. No one would misunderstand uh, what happened there. If I were a relativist, I could say that gas station workers are racist because that was my experience. My experience um, has, you know, has truth in it. It has moral and ethical uh, implications in it. So I could make that claim. And it, it's super progressive. Um, it's something that woke America does. Uh, the problem is this individual was racist. His actions don't have any bearing on 
gas station workers as a whole, on the oil industry as a whole. I can't pull this universal truth, which isn't universal, it's relative to my experience. So someone else who had a really uh, affluent gas station clerk who was very philanthropic and gave everyone who came into the gas station um, a $100 gift card or something, their experience was totally different. But relativism says that they're both true and valid, which is weird. But it doesn't pose a problem because relativism puts these different encounters and groups into different little categories uh, where they're all separated out. And we see that trickles down to all of these crazily progressive groups that we have today. Uh, so conservatives, we don't believe in relativism. We believe in universal truth. Um, most of us do happen to be uh, religious and particularly Christian. Not all, but most. Uh, yeah, so we have we have some serious issues with relativism. What else do we have on the list? You know, we have COVID-19 on the list. Not sure there's much I can say about that. I'll just, I'll make one, one, maybe two points. Um, the longer COVID goes on, the longer it's with us, uh, the more data comes out about it. Um, it's obvious that the handling of this virus that the the news coverage of this virus that all of these things are way outside the scope of normal um i forget who said this but uh, i was listening to someone and they said you know if the news just played a 24 hour reel of how dangerous um car travel is and it was just a constant ticker of how many people got in accidents and how many of those accidents resulted in fatalities, then no one would drive. People would be deathly afraid of driving. Uh, driving, by the way, is hundreds of times more dangerous than COVID, um, which is just a fact. But, you know, we're just seeing constant coverage. Uh, this this disease isn't being handled like any other disease. The ticker has continued to go up as if illness isn't seasonal, you know. Imagine, imagine if the flu was just on a continuous count. Not the two flu seasons in a calendar year. We're talking 20 flus over the last 10 years if they added up all of the people who had it and of those people, the fatalities, the numbers would be astronomical. But we know that's not how you tabulate illness and that's not how you tabulate deaths. Um, we also know these numbers keep going up and up and up and up. And you know what number is getting smaller? The mortality rate. The mortality rate is getting smaller and smaller by the day. Yes, COVID is out there. Yes, it's a real sickness. Yes, people are really um, infected by it. But the reality is less than 1%, less than half of 1% of the people who get it are going to die from it. And that's not even with getting into some of the gross misrepresentation where people are dying in car accidents or having heart attacks, but they also have COVID, so they count it as a COVID death. Uh, that's not even getting into that. 
conservatives' problem with COVID, if you throw out all of the egregious misinformation campaigns and, and medical malpractice where longstanding medicine's not allowed to be used, if you just throw all that stuff out, the problem that conservatives have with COVID is the government's response and the the wild overstep of authority without a preponderance of evidence, guys. This isn't the bubonic plague. It's not like um, the numbers were so clear or even questionably clear. Uh, the fact is we know that this virus kills less than 1% of people that get it. Not less than 1% of the population. A lot of people like to throw that back at you. We're not saying, um, that's a snuck premise, guys. We're not saying every American's going to get COVID. That's not the case. We're not saying uh, 1% of the population. That's, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying 3 million, 4 million people, which is an argument that's thrown in our face. Uh, that would be true with the snuck premise that every American would get COVID. Like, this is a must. This is something that has to happen. Um, and we know that that's, that's not factually true. But for the government to make such a reaction with such a small amount of evidence, you know, even if it did kill 1%, if it just killed 1% of the people who got it, uh, that doesn't justify the government shutting down essentially everything. So that's, that's all I have on COVID-19. Um, so finance, what does it mean to be fiscally conservative? Well, um, conservatives, uh, we, we believe in spending less than you make. Um, so yes, liberal and conservative presidents have run up the national debt. Um, I can tell you that mainstream wise conservatives are not for this national debt. Uh, the, the fact that the nation has debt is, is embarrassing. It's something that needs to go away. Um, just like we all do with our children, you know, if, if your child has $5 and they want a toy, you say, well, son, daughter, how much does it cost? Uh, and they'll say it's, it's $4 and you'll say, all right, then you can afford it. You can get it. Um, if the child asks for another toy and you say, well, how much is it? And they say it's $7 and we say, I'm sorry, you only have five. You can't afford it. They know that they can't buy that thing because they don't have enough money. Conservatives believe that same principle should hold true at the national level, at the state level, and in the town square where your local town government resides across the board. If you don't have the money for it, you shouldn't buy it. When I go into the polling place and I see all the state questions and local questions, I don't have to read all of the question. If the question says, should the state, should the county, should whatever municipality take out debt in the amount, I stop reading because my answer is no. I don't care what it's for. I don't. Cancer research, highway, uh, scholarships for fatherless black girls who code in city X. I don't care. Should we take out debt for it? No. Why? Well, there's a lot of whys. Uh, the borrow a slave to the lender. I don't want someone to be indebted to a lender. I don't want someone to be slave. 
As a borrower, that's what you are. You don't have power. You don't have autonomy. You're contractually obligated to someone else. People say under the thumb, you are contractually under someone else's thumb. You're not working for yourself. You're not working for your future. You're working to pay someone else what you owe them plus interest. Um, so that's the conservative principles of finance. That's what it means to be fiscally conservative. All right. I think I went through just about everything on the website. You know what would be a good idea to actually pull up the website and look at it? Uh, cancel culture, systemic racism. History is on the website. So history uh, is important because facts and truth are important. Um, lest we all be led astray uh, by fools say the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project is a work of fiction. Um, it is a fact that the United States was founded in 1776. That's a fact. Any statement to the contrary is what we would call a lie. It's not true. And <laughs> the reason it's not true is because things are not relative. Uh, things are objective. Let's see, I got capitalism in there. So capitalism we touched on when we talked about socialism. Uh, the reason that capitalism works, the reason that capitalism works is the reason that people from all over the world do whatever they have to to make it here, to get to the United States. Not Mexico, not Canada, not a different country just to get out of the situation they're in into a different country. They fight, they scrape, they scratch, they claw, they work, they save, they study. They do all those things to get here because of capitalism. Because here, you can come here with nothing and you can make many times more what you made in the country that you've left. Your children can and are likely to move into the middle class, and their children can and are likely to move to the upper middle class, if not upper class. Everyone that steps foot in the United States, either by boat, plane, train, or they happen to be born here, Everyone here can make as much money as they want to make. They can get as much education as they want to make. And that doesn't occur in an institution or in a building. That can occur in your bedroom by reading books, by watching videos, by being on the internet, an internet that's supposedly not regulated, uh, supposedly not censored, rather. And the reason that that works, the reason that capitalism works is because however hard you're willing to work, you can get more. Uh, there are some ridiculous studies out there that say that men make more money than women. Um, those studies conveniently leave out a couple of important factors. One of those factors is hours worked. Um, so they'll say, uh, Bob makes more than Sally. It's just a statement of fact. But they leave out the fact that Sally's actually part-time. 
they don't take into account um, job role or position in the company. So they'll say Bob makes more than Sally. They don't take into account that Bob's full-time and Sally's part-time. They also don't take into account that Sally is a maintenance worker. Um, she, she cleans offices. And Bob is the CFO. They don't take that into account. Uh, what are some other things that they leave out? Conveniently, in this famous study, you guys can find the study. Google it. It's famous. They leave out difficulty or dangerousness of the job. So difficulty being, um, you know, if, if Sally is an individual contributor or if she runs a team of 10 people and Bob uh, works on cross-functional teams and manages 100 people, they don't take that into account. Another thing they don't take into account um, not just the status, that part-time, full-time, but hours worked. So if Sally did work 40 hours and Bob worked 60 hours, they wouldn't take that into account. They would just say, Bob makes more than Sally. That's bad. In reality, the same study shows that Sally makes more money per hour because Sally could make just slightly less than Bob working 40 hours while Bob is working 60 hours. Um, so the, the study is actually pretty damning um, that there's some injustice that happens against men. But that's story for another day. So uh, looking down the website, that was capitalism. 2020 election, we've talked about this in other episodes. Uh, basically, if you don't believe that the 2020 election should be investigated, then you don't believe that any crime should be investigated uh, just because of the number of irregularities. Uh, these things, of course, are issues that financial crime experts work with daily. Um, these are things, you know, I know people that investigate financial crime that have gone on with investigations with less evidence that's been presented, uh, with, with no affidavits, with less witnesses, uh, with less occurrences, but we, we talk about that often on the show, so no need to dig too deep in that. Uh, current events, of course, uh, we talk about current events, second amendment, <sighs> So, yes, conservatives, um, we, we believe in the Second Amendment, and we don't believe in the Second Amendment for sport. Uh, we don't believe in the Second Amendment for target shooting. We believe in the Second Amendment uh, for three fundamental reasons. For self-defense, inside and outside of the home, I have the right to live if someone challenges that. If someone tries to take my life, uh, take my things, take my family's life or my family's things, they surrender their right to live peacefully in that moment. Um, I've, I've always said this. I'll never decide to shoot someone. They decide to get shot. Uh, the perpetrator decides the level of force. That is a rule in, in the use of force continuum. Bad guy decides what's going to happen to them. You know, if I'm sitting next to a Navy SEAL and we're sitting there talking, we've decided the nature of our interaction is a talk. If I decide to punch the Navy SEAL in the face, something bad's probably going to happen to me. But it's not 
their fault. They didn't decide that. I decided that with my actions. Uh, so we believe in it for self-defense, and which encompasses defense of others. Uh, we believe in the Second Amendment as a defense against a tyrannical government, which means that we, the people, are the militia, that every day Bob and Sally are the militia, not the military. The military is the military. The militia are the townspeople, um, the, the people. That's so frequently referenced in our government's framework. And while we're talking about oppressive governments, all right, so often, uh, and Stephen Crowder talks about this on, on his channel, on his show, Louder with Crowder, uh, or um, I think it's called Good Morning Mug Club. Um, he talks about this often. It's a fallacy that people do all the time, all the time. Every time I talk to someone and we're debating guns, I hear this fallacy. It's called the reverse nirvana fallacy. People will say, do you really believe that you with your guns can take on the United States government? Do you really believe that you can take on the United States military? Well, one, uh, yes, I, I do believe that. Why do I believe that? Because that's happened all over the world, and it's actually what gave birth to this nation. If you recall, uh, people, everyday people, not soldiers, everyday people, um, took up arms and fought the most powerful military, the most powerful nation the world had ever seen. Remember that? It wasn't in 1619. That's, oh, that's why you guys can't find it. It wasn't in 1619. <laughs> Yeah, no, 1775, 1776 is where you want to look. But that's literally what happened. But when you're saying that, when you're saying, do you really think that you can take on with you with your guns? And yeah, there are, there are more, what are there, 270 million guns in this country? Yeah, yeah. There's, I haven't looked at the numbers in a while, but something around 560,000 soldiers in the United States Army. Uh yeah. Also, a lot of those soldiers are patriots. And uh, if the government decides to go all haywire, not saying that's what's happening now, just saying if the government decided to go all haywire, then uh, the entirety of the United States military wouldn't be towing the line and wouldn't be mindlessly following, let's, let's say a Biden administration, wouldn't mindlessly be following a president Joe Biden's orders to do unspeakable things to the American people. No, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, but the reverse nirvana fallacy is what you're arguing is the government is so powerful, big and strong, that you and your gun don't stand a chance. So just give them the gun. That doesn't make any sense. Because the power imbalance is so great Give up your last little ounce of power. Give up the last tool that you have to defend yourself and actually give it to the oppressor. That's absurd. That's called a reverse nirvana fallacy. Uh, income inequality, we, we talked about that, I believe, with socialism. Uh, but just so we're clear... Um, 
<laughs> I almost said the phrase equal is unfair. Equality is unfair. And yeah, I know I'm being branded all kinds of terrible things right now. Um, but that idea is true. And it's a great book called um, Equal is Unfair. America's Misguided War Against Income Inequality, I think is the subtitle. Um, but that's by Yaron Brooks. And no, I am, I am not an objectivist. But the sentiment in this book is true. Equal is unfair. Um, LeBron James is taller than me. Is that fair? I'm shorter than LeBron James. If I wanted to be a basketball player, he, he has more. He has more height than me. Is that fair? Um, should we equalize that? How would we do that? Do we cut him down or do we stretch me out? Um, let's go back to Bob and Sally. You know, Bob works 40 hours a week. Sally works 20 hours a week. Is it fair to give Bob and Sally the same amount of money? Not the same per hour, but the actual same amount of money. To give Bob $50,000 for his 40 hours and to give Sally $50,000 for her 20 hours. It would be equal outcome. Is that fair? No. It's not. Equal is unfair. You get what the result of your effort is. You get what the result of your labor is. You don't just get a fixed amount. That's... That's the, the misguided notion of equality. The only things that should be equal are equal rights. Everyone equal under the law. Uh, everyone equal in God's sight. It's what Christians believe. Yeah, but we, we hear this phrase in our culture, um, and what conservatives believe in is equality under law. Equal rights. That's the only thing that should be equal. Uh, last two things we got on there, navigating relationships. And that's the point of the show. Um, we all have friends, we have family, we have colleagues, um, and then strangers that we meet. You know, to be your best self, you have to be your whole self. Um, not hiding pieces of yourself, not, um, not tactically deciding things to leave out uh, because you know that if people knew this about you, they'd think less of you or they'd disagree with you, they might be angry with you. All of that stuff is bad, guys. Listen, I have friends that are socialist. And we speak. And we're cordial with each other and we're polite with each other, but we're actually friends. I, I believe in capitalism. They believe in socialism. Um... Right now, the law is kind of on my side. Things are kind of on a, on a tenuous footing right now in the United States. But that's not the defining point in our relationship. We have a disagreement about a philosophical or an, an economic system. We wouldn't be being our whole selves if we hid that from each other. Um, you're, you're actually being a fraud. And you're being gripped with fear and anxiety. So the navigating relationships piece. 
is about how to say these things, you know, and survive. How to be confident enough to say it. You don't have to be competent enough. You don't have to say all the right things and do all the right things. You just have to be confident, brave enough to say, eh, I don't think that. How does that manifest in reality? When people say these leading questions, when people say things like, man, only a crazy person would vote for Trump, right? And they're, they're, they're kind of just putting everyone in a really bad spot. You're like, oh, man, what, what do I do now? You know, what do I say now? It's so easy to just acquiesce. It's so easy to just say, yeah, man, that's crazy. You don't have to get offensive. You don't have to get defensive. Just ask some questions. You know, someone says, man, only a crazy person would vote for Trump, right? Well, put the onus on them to prove it. Say, why? What do you mean? What has he done? Maybe feign ignorance. Oh, I don't, I don't know a lot about it. What, what's so terrible about Trump? See what they say. Maybe they're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, imperating talking points. Maybe they don't know anything about Trump's history, about him as a professional, as a, as a business titan. Maybe they don't know anything about him as a president, any of his policies, any of his initiatives, any of his executive orders. You could put, into, put it to them peacefully. Like, what do you mean? Why? What, what, what's Trump been doing? Or you could stick it to him and say, name me one Trump policy that you disagree with and tell me why. He's a dictator. Tell me one executive order that he's done, what its impact has been and why you disagree. And the last thing on the website there is speaking out about opinions and beliefs. Guys, this is important. If we're going to have a free society, then people have to be able to say what their thoughts, opinions, and beliefs are without fear of retribution, without losing their jobs, without losing their livelihoods. People have got to be able to say these things. A capitalist and a socialist and a communist can all sit down here in the United States where they used to be able to and openly say, yeah, I'm a communist. Yeah, I'm a capitalist. I believe in socialism. They used to be able to say that. But now uh, the rules are different. Expectations are constantly changing, constantly shifting. And things can't be that way. Otherwise, we're all acting. We're all characters being given scripts and we're saying lines. But we don't believe the things that we're saying. We just know what it takes uh, to win the Oscar. We just know what is expected of us to get the accolades that society is handing out. And if we allow our society to go down this road further, because we've been on this road for decades, um, if we allow our society to continue down this road, 
we're going to find ourselves in a really unpleasant spot, giving the government this type of power, giving the mob rule this type of power, because it might not turn the crap immediately. But what we're doing is we're setting the stage for a disaster. We're setting the stage for that actual dictatorial, totalitarian, you know, that real oppressor. We're setting the stage for them when they get to whatever office we exalt as the high office. And I'm not convinced it's the presidency. More and more, the Supreme Court is thought of as the supreme authority. But that's a topic for a different episode. We're setting the stage for true disaster, for true oppression, for worse than Hitler, worse than Mao, Mussolini, Stalin. We're setting the stage for true disaster and injustice. That's all. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.